Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Three weeks after suffering a miscarriage, Candace Gow Smith becomes pregnant with Evander. It is a pregnancy dominated by a fear of miscarrying again, a wakeful night worrying that something may go wrong. But as she approaches term, she's finally able to believe that the pregnancy will result in a healthy baby and she starts preparing for the home birth she always wanted. In this episode, we'll hear Candace tell how she birthed Evander on the bed in the comfort of her own home so quickly that our doula and midwife didn't have time to arrive. There's no panic or fear, just calm and euphoria as the sun makes its entrance. It is a beautiful story of having the birth you always wanted, of working as a team with your partner and of completely trusting your body. Nairi Wright, midwife and founder of Sage Fam, is with us in the studio to answer any questions. My name is Caroline Johansson and you're listening to the podcast To Become a Mother. Welcome, Candice. Hello. Welcome, Mari. Hello. Hi. Lovely to have you here today. Candice, you're a mom to Findlay. Yeah. Two and a half years old. Yeah. And little Evander, who is eight weeks. That's right. Yeah. And he is with us in the studio today. He is. Looking adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Evander's birth that we will hear about today. It is, yeah. I was wondering if you could go back to when you and your partner started thinking about it's time to have a second one. Yeah, sure. I think I was pretty broody for the second one quite quickly when I (laughs) had my first child, probably around uh, the four months mark, but you don't know if it's the kind of hormones (laughs) that are (laughs) speaking to you. But yeah, completely besotted with uh, kind of the whole baby thing. And um, I was pretty much like, we should do more. We should have more. <laughs> but yeah, timing wise, it was far too early, obviously. <laughs> but Was that your husband? Yes, yes. He was just like, oh, hang on a minute. Um, <laughs> and um, it was COVID. Um, yeah. He was working from home and we also decided to kind of move house as well. So there's a lot of things going on. But uh, from a physical point of view, uh, my period hadn't come back. So I was breastfeeding. So 
from that point of view, it was going to be quite tricky anyway. So we just thought, you know what, we'll just kind of ride it out and just uh, it will happen at some point in the future. And then pretty much when my period came back, I was like, right, <laughs> <laughs> let's go, let's go. But again, it, I think it took like a, you know, a good few months just to get settled in a new house and stuff. But yeah, I was um, really kind of feeling the need to do it all again. When did your periods come back? It was around 16 months after birth. So it was quite strange in the sense that I was really like um, missing my periods. All my friends had, my mum friends had, um, you know, started getting theirs back and I was feeling quite jealous actually. I was like, I want my period back. <laughs> and um, I didn't feel like I could be me again until I until I had my period back. Um, so I was, um, yeah, I was, I was a bit worried about that in some ways, but I was assured that it could take, you know, um, as long as it needed to and it was fine. Mm. And, I, and I breastfed my daughter quite a lot. So that was um, kind of integral to why it wasn't coming back. And as soon as I started to drop the feeds, I, I kind of mm. started to feel twitches and changes and mm. changes in my moods as well. And, and I thought, okay. And, and then, yeah, it came back around 16 months. Um, then it took a little while for everything to kind of get in sync and, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, so once we were kind of once our period was back and waited a few months after that we thought okay yeah we'll we'll try and of course you don't know how long it's going to take right so yeah um we thought we'll try and see what happens and didn't really expect it to to be as quickly as it as it was how um, quick was it um it was only about four to five months um okay. which felt quite quick yeah um because we were still like you know measuring um hormones and temperatures and you know it just felt much quicker than what we thought it would take. But um, yeah, so it took about four to five months, but the, that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And little Lavanda came not long after that, actually. Like um, he was conceived, about, I think, three weeks after the miscarriage. So I didn't mm. even have a period in between that. So both pregnancies were quite close. And how, with the miscarriage being so close before, how, how was it then to be pregnant with Amanda? Did you have feelings of worry? Oh yeah, massively. Um, I wouldn't let myself believe I was pregnant and actually got, we moved house recently again um, and I found all the little pregnancy strips and there was <laughs> over 20 because um, <laughs> I would just constantly test that the hormone levels were still showing um, or, or getting stronger on, mm. the, on the strips. Um, yeah, I, I was really... Um, really worried, really anxious, convinced that I would have another miscarriage. And so I didn't want to believe that I was kind of pregnant. And yeah, eventually that kind of resulted in quite high anxiety, uh, which I sought to get help from because I didn't want that to kind of override the the whole pregnancy journey. And I wanted to enjoy the pregnancy mm. and I wanted to believe that I was going to have a baby at the end of it. So mm. it did result in some kind of um, talking therapy, some CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which was great. It was mm. really, really good. And it allowed me actually just to have a breather and to think about the the miscarriage, which I hadn't had much time to actually think about and process because, you know, you've got a toddler, mm. you, you've got you working, it just, it happens. And then you get back onto life the next day. And yeah. actually I needed that time to, to think about things um, and how it made me feel. So the just having a few hours a week speaking about that with a therapist was really therapeutic mm. and um, eventually allowed me to believe that I was pregnant and mm. I was going to have a baby mm. and yeah, I could get excited by it. Around when in the pregnancy did you feel that you could start 
relax into it. It was um, strange because I, from the moment I felt pregnant, fell pregnant, I had this like 20 week mark in my mind. Mm. I don't know why, but it was, it was strange because I felt like I had to get to the 20 week stage and have the scan. Mm. And then I would be assured that actually, no, I am pregnant and Mm. it's going to happen. And in a weird way, that's how it did actually pan out. Like I remember having the scan at 20 weeks and just feeling like a huge weight off my shoulders and, and just, yeah, there was definitely a change. And even my therapist who was like making, um, like we did, she did these kind of graphs of, I was doing questionnaires each week, which allowed her to assess my levels of anxiety and, Mm. and my thoughts and stuff. And when we did an assessment of looking back, she noted that that was when my um, anxiety dramatically reduced. So yeah, it was around 20 weeks. I I felt like um, I could actually, yeah, believe it and start to think about the future and start to enjoy it and just take a breath and Mm -hmm. not convince myself that every twinge or every, every feeling was something that bad is going to happen. Um, and then from there it was, I mean, I still had these kind of like anxieties, but it was much, much less. And yeah, just, it was just nice to be able to enjoy the second half of the pregnancy. Yeah. And in terms of physically, how, how were you feeling? I always kind of say like the first pregnancy was like a luxury pregnancy because <laughs> it was, um, with the second one, it was, it was more physical in terms of, um, you know, the challenges. So then I had quite bad pelvic girdle pain which I'd never experienced with Finley mm-hmm. and I always heard of it but I was like wow no this is this is quite uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Now Ray, what is pelvic girdle pain if you're sitting out there listening to this wondering? It's when the um, bit of cartilage in the front that joins the two halves of the pelvis together because of the increase in the hormone relaxin can sort of overstretch and it can be really painful And it often gets worse as pregnancy progresses. And the only eventual cure is the birth of the baby. Mm. But unlike some pregnancy side effects, complications, it doesn't go immediately after birth. So some women will still feel a lot of tenderness post-birth. And if you have that kind of pain, it is important to see a physiotherapist it's really important to make sure that you're not overextending, so you're not um, hyperadducting, <laughs> opening your legs too much. So you have to be a bit kind of ladylike as if you're riding a, a horse side saddle. Some women may even end up needing crutches, so the severity varies a lot. It is often shown with women who are hypermobile before pregnancy. And it sometimes results in women having faster labours, which is very interesting, Mm. but not always, I have to say. But yes, it's a difficult position, uh, situation to manage. And certainly during the birth process, the people who perhaps if somebody has an epidural, the people looking after you Mm. have to be really aware of this condition so that they don't put you in positions that will actually really uh, make this condition worse. Okay. And so that you will feel it after you've given birth as well, if they don't take care? Absolutely. And and sometimes you'll feel it after birth, regardless of how you look after yourself. It, yeah. it, it just can be very painful. Mm. Some women get to a, the point where they're not even to, able to walk up and down stairs. Mm. So it, it varies an awful lot. Yeah. And I can imagine with a little toddler running around, that's yeah. an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of... Um... It had like an emotional element to it in some ways because I felt like I couldn't, as you say, like 
do anything with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite, uh, it was probably like 30 weeks into pregnancy and I felt like I'm going to make myself much more worse if I, you know, if I, if I pick her up or mm-hmm. if I kind of play with her in the way that I'm, I'm used to or yeah, just sitting is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you might find yourself getting into a position that is comfortable, but then having a toddler kind of jump on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously they don't understand. So that, that's quite difficult, but yeah, I found it, um, yeah, very strange kind of sensations and, and it kind of, yeah, it did kind of, as you say, like as the pregnancy progressed, did get worse and just finding a, a position that's comfortable was quite tricky. But I do remember like, um, maybe like a day or two after birth, I remember putting my knickers on and feeling like, oh my God, I can move my legs again. <laughs> I can actually move my thigh like to a position where I can, because it, it really restricts yeah. your movement to such degree. And even like, you know, when you, you've got a, a shower in the bath, getting over that panel yeah. into the, into the bath was just agonizing. Um, oh. so even just stepping into the bath, I was like, oh my God, I, I can do it now. Yeah. I can, I can move back into the bath. And it was, um, yeah, you forget like how your body was in quite a lot of discomfort. Yeah. And you almost get used to it, don't you? You get because used to it. Yeah. Dealing with it every yeah, day. Every day. Yeah. So mm. it just becomes, and you find ways to maneuver yourself. Yeah. So yeah, I remember you know, um, a few days afterwards thinking, wow, I've got it back. I can put my knickers on. I can get into the bath. I can go down the stairs. Amazing. Um, but another physical thing that I, I've suffered with both pregnancies is, is quite severe heartburn. Um, and I know that's kind of, like, oh, that's, but this is like, no, yeah. <laughs> this is, a, you can't, um, enjoy foods, drinks, exercising, sleeping was just unbearable. Mm. Um, I would have like quite bad reflux in the night. So I'd wake up unexpectedly with like, um, this kind of reflux coming out of my mouth and it was Uh. just, yeah, not very nice. There's not much you can do for it, (laughs) but then Uh. just kind of take ice cubes. (laughs) You can manage it to a certain degree by making sure that you don't eat biggish meals sort Mm. of later on in the day. Certain foods will definitely make it worse. Mm. So it's avoiding things like um, cooked cheese and cooked tomatoes. Okay. Having more pillows, so you're more upright. Trying to, if you have a bigger meal, have a brisk walk for five minutes. Anything that will get your metabolic rate up a little bit. Mm. And there are, you know, remedies that you can buy over the counter. So do talk to the pharmacist about things that will, in the short term, alleviate heartburn. Mm. But the good news is that heartburn goes the very instant the mm. baby is out. <laughs> so that's something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. And and why do some women get it? Well, the progesterone hormone slows the whole digestive system down to enable your body to get more nutrition from the food that you eat. But it's why things like heartburn and constipation are so common. It's all about this lovely hormone progesterone. But... The reason some women get it so badly, other women don't get it at all, is just about why do our bodies differ anyway? Different people will have different um, genetic predispositions to things, but it's certainly never anything that will cause the baby any harm, Mm. but it can make you miserable. So it's just about from very early in pregnancy, trying to get used to smaller meals more frequently rather Mm. than sticking to that sort of three meal a day mentality. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's uh, the you first. You learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, but the first thing I've done with both pregnancies is as soon as I've given birth, I'm like, right, toast and marmite. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, <laughs> and a and a hot cup of tea. So when you got to the twenty week mark, weeks mark, and you um, you started to relax a bit, were you able to put your mind towards birth and thinking about that? Yeah, yeah, I could, and I was really excited. By that prospect mm-hmm. um, I'd, I'd hold that off for such a long time mm-hmm. and I kind of started visualizing um, the birth what it would be and felt quite excited by it and mm-hmm. obviously meeting the little fella. What type of birth were you thinking about? For us it was home birth much similar to what we planned for Finley our daughter that kind of um, suited the kind of environment that we felt most comfortable in. And we we did plan a home birth with Finley, but she had meconium when the waters broke. So mm. that did end up, um, we ended up transferring to hospital. So I was, there was kind of like a stubbornness in me that kind of made me feel like, no, I'm definitely going to do a home birth yeah. this time. But obviously you have to, you know, it could happen again. You could end up in hospital again. Mm. But no, for home birth, it's, it's always been a thing where we felt like that's what we wanted to do you know, in the comfort of our own home and you get, well, in, in Hackney uh, where we live, we, we were assigned, you get assigned um, a midwife, a home birth midwife quite early on. Mm. So you can have the comfort of your home but at home while you're doing um, the the checks, you know, the antenatals, they come to your house. So that was always quite nice. nice. And yeah. yeah, just kind of, it's just always felt like an option that we, we've really wanted to do mm. in both in both pregnancies. So that was it was about looking to that and and feeling like what can we do to kind of make uh, make the environment at home a nice environment um, because of the complications that happened with with Finley's um, birth in terms of um, the meconium and getting to hospital and then some of the things that happened in hospital we decided to hire a doula. Are you able to describe what happened with Finley? Just yeah, briefly? sure. So my birth kind of progress quite quickly at home I was doing really well actually like um with the contractions and well I was kind of like just kind of getting through it all and my waters broke and um at that point there wasn't a midwife the midwife hadn't come I think she maybe assumed that it was my first birth so it could Mm. take a little while longer than what it did but things did move quite quickly and my waters burst on the bed but my husband kind of recognised that there was meconium in in my waters, so we moved to the bathroom, and my waters kept on coming, and there was quite a lot of meconium. So we rang the midwife, and she said, "Well, rather than me come, you need to go to hospital." Now, why is that? Why is meconium an issue? Um, we don't always know for sure why a baby has passed meconium. We know that later babies are more likely to pass it, so babies that are born sort of closer to 42 weeks. But we also know that passing meconium can be associated with distress. It certainly isn't always, but we have to presume potentially that the baby might be distressed. So if meconium is passed, you want to do some continuous monitoring so you can make sure that the baby is still happy. So that's one issue. And the other one is that a small number of babies, when they pass meconium, during the actual birth process, may inhale some of that amniotic fluid with meconium. And that thicker, 
particle mm. might get stuck in the baby's lungs and cause problems. I have to say that most of the time it doesn't. Mm. So, you know, if you're being cared for and you see meconium, please don't automatically panic. Midwives and obstetricians are very used to it. There is nothing that you can do to make it not happen. And I can go months without seeing a baby pass meconium before birth. And then the next three births in a row, there'll be meconium. Mm. And if it happens to you in one pregnancy, it's no more likely to happen the second time than to somebody else. Mm. So if you see it, you don't need to panic and think, oh my God, my baby is definitely in distress. It's no, not at all. No. Um, it's just really the actions that are taken are taken as a precaution mm. to keep babies safe. Mm. Um, and so if the birth is happening at home and meconium is seen when the birth is imminent, the safest thing is actually to remain at home yeah. but to get the ambulance crew there there but with a first birth there is usually time to transfer to hospital and so the midwife gave completely the appropriate advice to Candice at that time which mm. was to go to hospital for the monitoring mm. that's right and you know it was the first birth so we you know hadn't really had experience of it mm. before but I did struggle getting to hospital because at that point I felt the baby kind of transcend and I was starting to push and I couldn't fathom how I was going to get to hospital <laughs> because yeah. of the position that I was in and and the stage of birth that I was in um so that was quite tricky um somehow we ended up transferring and and I ended up going into an uber <laughs> and contracting in an uber with the you know baby's head quite you know um and yeah we got to the hospital and um I mean, I, I knew Finley was was pretty much there. Oh, I can hear little Avanda. <laughs> we'll go for a little bit longer, but he might need a feed soon. Yeah. Um, but they did ask to kind of examine me and, and they said, oh, yes, you you know, you're fully dilated. And, and so they took me straight into um, a labour ward. And it was, you know, very kindly, the midwives looked at my maternity notes and kind of honoured the kind of environment that I wanted so they put like little candles up and, and lights and closed the blinds and made the atmosphere as kind of relaxing as it could be. And mm. my husband stuck up some affirmations on the wall. And so, you know, that was that was great. But it ultimately did end up in my um, kind of birth stopping. So my contractions completely just stopped and the midwife had to kind of really rub my stomach to kind of get them going again. And mm. it was quite tricky because I think there was also an element of pressure to get baby out mm. because of the meconium. And the contractions stopping like that, Nari, is that something that you see in home births transferring to hospital? I think any kind of disruption in any labour, um, anything new, a change, will have the potential to, to slow it down or stop it. Mm -hmm. So it might be somebody that's planned a hospital birth and at home they're contracting really, really well and they definitely feel like it's active labour, but then they go in the car and it slows right down, or it might be that the hospital environment itself, the kind of brighter lights, the equipment, meeting strangers, all of those things can slow things down. At a home birth, it might be the arrival of a second midwife that the person hasn't met before, who perhaps is a bit louder, or it might be somebody coming into a room panicking. There are so many things. Mm. It might be a toddler suddenly crying. Um, all of those things can slow down labour. And I think it's because of our primitive mammal response. Mm. Women, well, women. So 
mammals, dogs (laughs) and cats, will often go into a small dark cupboard and give birth uninterrupted. And um, I think in an ideal world, women would like to go into small dark cupboards. Mm -hmm. But, you know, (laughs) it's not possible. So I can imagine then getting out, doing a transfer, being in quite a stressful situation with an Uber and then coming to a bright lit hospital, even if they're trying to make it nice. And then having any sort of pressure that now you need to get this baby out. It's just instant mood killer when it comes to it felt like (laughs) interactions yeah and the change in environment and you know it's just kind of it wasn't what they wanted yeah (laughs) ultimately and I didn't you know yeah there was a lot of new stuff to suddenly take on board Mm. um that hadn't been really in my vision Mm. or our vision and um and just even like the kind of there was slight worry there obviously because we had transferred because of the meconium so there was this kind of at the back of it well is she okay you know yeah. is my daughter okay oh. and they had um the kind of are they called the obstetricians am i saying that right mm. uh, yeah so they were at the end of the the bed and i felt like i was literally like <laughs> <laughs> performing in front of them yeah and also quite interestingly the language changed the language of the midwife's change so it's almost like you know you have to push now you have to push um mm. you know you're only giving me half a good push you know and and this this kind of language that I didn't want yeah. was now there and that really did you know knock me off mm. um and meanwhile your body is just you know you know you're having to birth and there's just a lot of stuff going on yeah. um eventually they came back my contractions but then the pushing was was quite intense and even though I did the hypnobirthing training and I, I knew that being on your back is just, you know, the, the worst position and I hadn't been on my back throughout the whole of that birth, I was somehow on my back pushing with my legs up and really straining. And I don't know, I had this realisation like, hang on, what am I doing? <laughs> this yeah. is not, yeah. this is not right. It's yeah. not happening. It's the, you know, the, the baby isn't coming like this. And actually it was my husband uh, who could see that I was probably getting quite distressed and annoyed with the midwife who was with me, he kind of said, get up, get on your hands and knees, turn around. And he just grabbed my hand and he, we put some music on and he just kind of said in my ear, like, just blank everything out. You and 3,000 other women are right now doing this thing. You can do it. You know, mm. look at your affirmations on the wall. And just having that just made me like get back yeah. into the zone. He sounds wonderful. Yeah, what a wonderful <laughs> Can support. we employ him as a doula? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, he did really good there. And amongst all that kind of yeah. madness, um, he kind of pulled it back and, and yeah, she came. But yeah, it's because of that, I, I didn't want that again, obviously. But at the same time, I knew that, well, it could happen again, Yeah, you know. Um, but we wanted to have a, a doula with us to kind of support us, to be our advocate, to kind of manage all that other stuff that, that could potentially happen mm. so that we could just focus on the birth yeah. and be together. Yeah. And um, we um, hired someone that we knew quite well. She was my yoga teacher throughout both pregnancies mm. and she supported us postnatally with my daughter Finley. And it felt like a very natural process to invite her and um, we felt very excited. Then we had, we, you know, we had the doula. We knew we was going to start and hopefully finish the birth at home. We had the support of the home birth team. Mm. So felt very relaxed about the birth of Evander um, and very excited by it. I think there might be some listeners out there thinking, oh my God, a home birth. Uh, that sounds very risky. You're far away from the hospital. Nairi, what would you say to that? 
Well, in certain situations, home birth is the safest option. Mm. And for somebody that had a very quick first labour and nearly gave birth in an Uber, (laughs) a home birth is actually a much safer option, absolutely. Home births with careful planning and consideration of lots of different factors are completely safe. In London, you're never far from a hospital. It's why women in London can actually choose which of the four or five hospitals within an hour of me may I want to give birth in, or they can choose to have a home birth and then they know that there are four or five hospitals within easy travelling distance. Obviously, if you live in the Outer Hebrides, (laughs) you don't have quite so many choices. Your medical history has to be taken into account. And I would say where you feel comfortable, there is no point having a home birth if you're terrified of not being near an obstetrician. Mm. Similarly, some women are absolutely terrified of hospitals and so they may not birth well in hospital. I think it's really important that within the constraints of somebody's medical history, they're allowed to give birth where they feel safest. Mm. And we absolutely shouldn't judge people for the choices that they make. Mm. There isn't a one option that is best for everybody. And, you know, I think the idea of having a baby and then being able to relax in your own bed with your other child, perhaps sleeping in in the other room, mm. in the morning, having your own food. I can't think of anything better, really. Mm. But somebody else might prefer the NHS uh, <laughs> PG tips and the <laughs> jam and toast, which, by the way, is wonderful. So. <laughs> and just in terms of how risks are managed then, because if something unexpected comes up at home, how would a midwife deal with that? Because there is, even though there are hospitals close by, you know, further away than if you are actually on the labour ward, Is that taken into account by the midwives in terms of, you know, when they see a small risk, they're escalating it faster than they would in a hospital? Like how how are those things managed? First of all, in my practice, we always aim to have two midwives at a home birth. Mm. And that's so that one can actually be dealing with the practicality of a potential emergency. The other person is making the necessary phone calls, etc. That's not to say I've never delivered a baby on my own, but because sometimes babies come very quickly, Mm. but that's one thing. Um, The other thing is you do have to slightly be thinking ahead. So, for example, if I'm at a home birth, the baby's about to arrive and there's meconium, I will call an ambulance at that point, even if the baby comes out and it's absolutely fine, because I don't know. So there is an element where you have to think ahead a little Mm -hmm. bit. At every single home birth... We will have resuscitation equipment out prepared. And although that can be stressful to look at, can be sort of hidden away a little bit, but it's really important to have it there because some babies, you can't always know beforehand that they might have trouble taking that first breath. And then another measure would be having the drugs prepared just in case somebody hemorrhages. And I guess that the most important element is the selection process in the beginning. So if somebody has a history of high blood pressure or their placenta is low lying, Mm. they're not the best candidate for a home birth. So there are considerations. Yeah, that makes sense. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And Candice, your due date comes mm. and goes. Is that right? Um... With both, um, I was pretty much two days after um, my due date with Finley, and I was two days before with with Evanda. But I actually think like due dates, uh, I, I never kind of mm-hmm. fixated on those. Mm-hmm. Really, I, I don't kind of know if you can be so precise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think actually the kind of person I am, that like having a due date would probably cause me a lot of anxiety because mm. I'd just be like fixated on this kind of due date. Mm. Um, I'd like to instead visualize it as a period of time in which mm. baby can come, which is actually, it's quite a long period of time. If you think about it, it's mm. a few good few weeks and you don't want to be sat there like, you know, looking at the clock thinking, <laughs> oh, so yeah, keeping myself relatively busy throughout that kind of period of, of mm. like it's, it's coming, it's, it's pending. That's a good way of thinking about it. I think it helped yeah. my kind of mindset. Um, might not help others, but yeah, mm. definitely not kind of pinpointing it's going to happen on this date. Mm. And and it just helps us as well with like, you know, everyone always says, oh, when's baby due? When's baby due? And rather than just give like an actual day, it's yeah. around this period. So yeah, it's helped, it's helped us and just kind of we keep you know little things like oh we'll, we'll go to the park on that due date or we'll do uh, uh, you know just normal things you yeah. know and and just as i say not sitting there wondering when it's happening yeah twiddling your tongue yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when do you start feeling that something is about to happen with finley it was a case of having a few signs um so i had the mucus plug i think it's called i think two days before and then it was a case of not really having much else other than waking up with kind of period pains. Mm. And then with Evander, there was no obvious signs that he was due. Um, but again, it was that waking up with period pains is what I would liken it to. Mm. And then 
pretty much it's quite quickly after that transcends into kind of active labor yeah and can you describe how that initial start of your labor was with Avanda yeah yeah so that was it was quite weird actually I was I was having a dream about having period pains mm. and thinking oh I think this is the labor and then actually waking up and <laughs> oh no I, I, I am I am having these pains okay but I think when it's that kind of like period pains and they're, they're quite you know heavy period pains mm. but you're still kind of like in this weird like well is this is this it is this labor because you go through periods throughout the whole pregnancy of having like backache yeah. and slight twinges and quite you know so you don't really you know you don't really know until a little bit later on when you're kind of like mm, these are getting a bit more intense the mm. feeling's getting a bit more intense there's a bit more pressure and and then I guess um with both it was a case of like ah that's a contraction. <laughs> and again, with both, it was a case of let's just monitor those contractions. How quickly are they coming? Mm. What's the level of intensity? Where am I? Am I able to kind of breathe through it quite easily? Mm. Or, you know, or actually is this getting a little bit more difficult? Yeah. And um, just being mindful of, of what's physically happening to the body. Mm. And that mindfulness really kind of helped us with the speed at which the birth happened because I do birth quite quickly mm. and that's a lot to kind of get your head around because the transition of feelings which mm. you, you know the, the physical feelings that are going on is quite sudden so you know going from with Avanda for instance waking up from that kind of sensation of heavy period pains to actually starting contracting to having very close intense waves of pain to then you know having that pressure and, and having your waters burst and and then and then actually being ready to push that was all very very quick I think it was like three hours um yeah. so that's a lot to kind of for your body to go through never mm. mind your kind of brain to kind of get hold of but yeah. actually just checking in with yourself and just knowing where you are and, and kind of mm. okay this is happening this is happening this is happening mm. um just just helped myself in in some ways um but yes, it can be different for different people. You know, mm. um, I had a friend who was um, contracting for, I think it was over a week. Um, oh, yeah. It is incredible how different it is. Yeah, um, it really is. It could take so long. And, yeah. But I can imagine with such a fast birth that, as you say, so much is happening very quickly, yeah. probably very strong feelings. So being present in your head yeah. must be a key thing. Absolutely. And these little things that you can do um you know putting on your fairy lights having some music if you have the chance to get that mm. set up creating just a space that you feel like you have some control over because the physical side of it is you don't really have much control mm. of. so if you can kind of grasp hold of something which you think nope i'm setting this environment up i mean for for evander it was it's so, it such little things because it was happening so quick i couldn't even get downstairs to where we thought we would birth yeah. so downstairs we had a pool and we had that's where most of the lights were set up that's where my affirmations were set up mm. um my birthing ball all of those things were set up downstairs i didn't even move outside my bedroom mm. i stayed in my bedroom nevertheless whilst i was in my bedroom i was still able to keep the curtains closed put on some lights you know, set up the kind of padding, you know, the towels and stuff like that. And I think this is where you never know where you feel most comfortable. Mm. 
you know, you think, okay, well, we will birth here, but actually your body just completely tells you. But being, just listening to your body, just listening to where you are, I knew in that moment, I didn't want to move. I didn't mm. want to move in, even in my own home mm. to mm. go downstairs. I just wanted to stay in my bedroom. Mm. And that was, that was fine. And then I felt more relaxed. Um, where was Finley at this point? She was in bed right next to our room, <laughs> which I was kind of worried about, you know, where would Finley be while I was birthing? Not worried in the sense that I didn't want her to see it at all because I actually, you know, I think that would, that'd be fine. Mm. I think, but I was kind of like more worried about how I would birth with that potential interruption. So mm. we had made plans, um, depending on what part of the day would happen, but yeah, she kind of slept through it all, which is really odd because she's not a great sleeper usually. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I didn't hold back. I was kind of, you know, in my zone and making all the noises that you would make. And, um, but yeah, she slept right through it. And the birth actually happened so quick that our doula didn't manage to arrive, nor did our midwife. And the first person that came was a very kind and gentle ambulance man Uh, (laughs) who, you know, he could have potentially kind of come in and disturbed all the kind of the vibe that was going yeah. on. But he had recently done a home birth himself as a father. Like he uh-huh. home birthed his, so he knew exactly uh-huh. the kind of environment and uh-huh. the kind of, um, you know, it's quite a, I'd imagine walking into that space, quite a, a big thing. Yeah. Um, but he was very sensitive. But yeah, we birthed on our own in our bedroom, which was just amazing. And I think a lot of people say, oh, that must have been really scary or must mm-hmm. have, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. it really wasn't. And, um, again, it's just kind of like trusting my body and trusting that, you know, I think it goes back to that. There is a hospital nearby. I have got help coming. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the ambulance on the phone. We had the midwife on the phone. They were telling us what to do. We felt secure in mm-hmm. the environment that we chose to have the birth. So, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, there's nothing we could do to, to stop it. He was coming yeah. and we just had to kind of, Go with, go with it yeah and it sounds so nice the way you're describing with your husband that you're like a team yeah. doing this together yeah it was lovely I felt I felt with both births mm. we completely like kind of were a team we did hypnobirthing with Finley we mm. did a course of hypnobirthing which was great because you know pregnancies women <laughs> experience pregnancy and it was nice to actually do something together you know so we could both understand the physiology and the kind of physical side of things and also kind of the emotional and and practical side of things. And we and we learned all these things together. It's not as if I knew loads before and we learned it all together and we discussed openly what kind of birth we would like mm. and what kind of options in terms of pain relief or, you know, options in terms of um, do you want the, how to deal with the placenta or how to deal with the cord cutting. So there is quite a lot of stuff that mm. you might need to kind of go through just to to know what your preferences are. And, and we made those decisions together and we talked about, you know, the what ifs so that should different eventualities happen we kind of knew where we would be. And I think my husband also felt very supported with the idea of having a doula second time round because the first time round there was that kind of immediate, let's go to hospital. And that kind of put a lot of pressure on him to be, you know, supporting me, but also being the person to make decisions. And and, advocate. Advocate, yeah. Yeah. So knowing that actually there was a third person who could give me support and help with you know so Finley for instance woke up he could deal with Finley mm-hmm. whilst I was still getting support mm-hmm. or you know if I was in in discomfort he had someone else to help me mm-hmm. 
get through that discomfort and all those kind of little things. Um, but yeah, being a team was um, a big part of it and, and mm. made the made the delivery, the birth. You know, he was great. He he just kind of like I was on the he had two mobile phones in his hand. I was there <laughs> on hands and knees and on the bed and. Yeah, we just kind of got on with it and just kind of, you know, did it. it didn't feel scary at all. It felt really lovely. And the people that then came into the bedroom were all really respectful and it was just um, a lovely moment. Sounds magical. I was just going to say that we already established in the first birth that Candice's partner is, is, yes. is great at what he does. So um, he was, you know, clearly quite yeah. capable yeah. of delivering yeah. a baby. He's up for hire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then... Um, you're given birth and the midwife and doula, they arrive. And what happens next? Um, so there's some kind of preferences in terms of like, what, what would you like to do with the cord? And uh, my notes aren't, aren't there, but they're downstairs and stuff. So there's little things like, you know, what, what would you like to do? And so um, we kind of like, honoured the delayed cord, clamp, um, yeah, cord clamping and we had to then deliver the placenta. So... The contractions built up again quite quickly after birth. Obviously, Evander was checked out, but we decided to kind of leave the cord be. And I just kind of put him on my chest mm. and the contractions for the placenta started to build up. And actually, they were quite intense. They were um, quite, I guess, a, a bit like, oh, hang on, I wasn't quite ready for, mm. for this level of intensity. And it felt quite, um, it was, I don't know where the placenta was laying, but it, it was a lot of back ache and a lot of kind of pain on my anus and mm. it felt very very uncomfortable but again with the support from the doula she was able to kind of move me in positions which is quite tricky when you've got a baby attached to you yeah <laughs> but yeah the best kind of position for us was to kind of hold scoop baby in one arm go on my hands and knees quite animal like I guess yeah. and and then kind of allow the placenta to come through in that in that position with some with some pushes mm. then it came in all its glory um <laughs> <laughs> and both times we've we've laid the placenta out and really inspected it and yeah. kind of oh, I'm just so interested in the placenta yeah. just find it amazing but they're huge organs they're massive what, yeah. is there anything um I mean, in terms of timing, how long time does it normally take, Snyri, before the placenta comes? I probably should say there are two ways of doing it. Mm. And after a completely straightforward birth, particularly one at home, the most um, straightforward option is what we call the physiological delivery of the placenta, which is totally natural. And gravity, sometimes breastfeeding, and keeping a nice calm environment helps to get placentas out. And it can take, I think an average would be 15 to 20 minutes after a baby is born. The other way is quicker. And it's often more appropriate if the uterus has been overworked in any way. So we're talking about the long labors or an induced labor, anything like that, or a multiple birth where the uterus has been overextended or lots of fluid. For all of those reasons, the other method is more appropriate and that's called active management and it's when the baby is born and then quite soon after birth an injection is given which causes the uterus to contract down and then the placenta is normally pulled out with a gentle traction about five minutes later. So it's quicker and there is a slight reduction in the amount of blood loss. So for some women 
who are more at risk of bleeding heavily because they've had a long, difficult labour, having the injection is the best option. Whereas at a home birth or a baby born on a birthing centre, the physiological way makes an awful lot of sense. You know, why start medicalising something that has just gone really naturally? Mm. Um, And the other reason perhaps is that a small number of women, once they have the injection, will feel a bit sick and you don't really want to be feeling all of that when you've just had a baby. No, no. I've still got my placenta, shall I say, in the the freezer. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I forgot about it. <laughs> we've, as I said, we, we moved house. And we're like, oh yeah, and the presenters in the freezer. <laughs> What's it saved for? <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, my um, doula kind of like put the idea of like, you know, have a little sort of think about what you'd like to do with it. And we did try a little bit of the presenter. Mm. We we put some in a smoothie, yeah. and <laughs> which I know is going to gross a lot of people out. But um yeah, it's not the whole thing. It's just like a little slice. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was full of berries and antioxidants and all this great stuff. So I had a little bit. But um, no, I'd like to, I'd, I'm thinking of doing some kind of art with it. Yeah. And I'm not too sure. Um, and if I don't do that, then I'd just like to kind of give it back to, to nature and just kind of plant it somewhere. But yeah, it's, I, I knew it would end up in the freezer for a long time because, <laughs> you know, life just gets back on track and then you know a few years later a few years later you're like oh yes i forgot about the there it is (laughs) make sure you bury it deep foxes in london i've heard foxes yeah (laughs) yeah no but we are coming to an end but before we do i just um we'd like to hear how the first few days were coming together as a family and with little finley meeting her honestly really really magical could not have asked for anything better the the moments um that Finley kind of burst through the doors after we had our gorgeous moment of tea in bed and toast in bed and cuddles and you know it was just lovely and she came through the door and she's always called Evander Crumbles (laughs) so as he's been in my stomach I've been able to convey you know something in my stomach and it's called Crumbles and she's like Crumbles (laughs) and she kind of like jumped on the bed and she was like good girl, good girl, good girl. I think she was saying to me, good girl. (laughs) But yeah, it was lovely. We just kind of all stayed in bed and just took the first day really slowly, but also doing really like normal things like putting the washing on and yeah, making sandwiches, just really normalized stuff. And then, yeah, the few days after that was just, it was just lovely. My recovery went really well. And I think uh, that's because the birth went really well and and the the delivery was, it was fine. You know, Mm. I think the hardest thing really is just kind of the emotional side of I have to split my love for two, mm. you know, children, mm. which is lovely, but very hard when both those two children need your attention at the same time. Mm. I find that quite challenging. And, um, you know, I can see my daughter getting quite upset and that's, you know, that's quite hard. And I know she'll be fine, but that's been the main kind of pull, mm. I think, in terms of, um, you know, how the postpartum period is is going physically fine I think although there's still a little bit of um prolapse situation that we need to get checked out but yeah it's the emotional side of having you know a new another child in your family the adjustment the kind of the change of routine and everyone's kind of emotions it's like okay we need to kind of Mm. um work this through together it's going to take a little time but it's not easy and it is a complete, even if you've done it before, when you're getting your second child, it's a new yeah. family constellation. Yeah. So you have to navigate these new relationships. Absolutely. And I yeah. guess it takes a while before everyone gets into their 
rhythm, new and, rhythm. and new roles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we're eight weeks, you know, since Vanda um, was here and, and it was still finding our way. Mm. It's not a quick fix. Mm. You know, Finley is still struggling, I would say, when, for instance, when Vanda is on the breast, having, you know, having a feed, where does she go? How does she fit? She mm. can't fit a mum. She wants to fit a mum. You know, mum feels a bit like, ah, everyone's on me and, mm. and dad doesn't know where to kind of come in and help. And, yeah. you know, it's all those kind of things. Yeah, it takes a little while. The routine is, you know, flipped upside down again yeah. and, you know, the sleep and all those kind of things. But it, at the same time, it's magical. You know, you have glimpses of like, wow, you mm, know, yeah. and, and, you know, there are moments where she goes this morning, for instance, she kissed him on his face and he did a smile. Is at that stage where he's yeah. first smiling and it's just like, oh, it's yeah. lovely. Seeing um, those two together. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing your story. You're welcome. It's very inspirational, fantastic. Mm. So thank you. And thank you, Naira. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.